Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Most people are like, I'm thinking about asking the girl out on the date or proposing marriage or starting my own business or whatever it is, fearing that they're going to lose something by making that leap. And the truth is we often have to let go of something to bring something even better into our life. If we don't like that new thing, we can always go back. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Nick and Elaine Stagenberg. Nick and Elaine are based in Rochester, Minnesota. They own Black Swan Real Estate, a real estate private equity firm that buys deep value add residential real estate ranging from single family to large class A apartment buildings and ground up construction. They target an indefinite hold period and have never sold an asset. Their current portfolio is approximately $300 million in assets under management, where they are typically the general partner. Nikki and Elaine, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to share Absolutely. our story. We've had the pleasure of being real estate investors for the last decade plus. We started as accidental landlords with the home that I lived in prior to the two of us getting married. We decided to keep that as a rental and one deal led to the next, led to the next. 
We have a Burr business model. So we have what I affectionately call an equity snowball, where we use the capital from one deal, pull it out with a cash out refi to buy the next. As you mentioned, we've never sold a single asset. And here we are today you know, with the opportunity to run our private equity fund, to work with many passive investors to help them benefit from the financial freedom that we've been able to create. We have a property management company all the way back from the beginning. We chose to self-manage and we've kept that as we've scaled. We really think that that vertical integration is a big part of our success in terms of control and quality and consistency, really taking on the renovation and the management projects that really drive the value. We take on projects that a third-party vendor wouldn't touch them because they're so challenging in terms of both the renovation and the management complexity, and then turn those projects around to increase the value to do that cash out refi. Lots of interesting things about our private equity structure I'm sure we'll get into. And then we also have the pleasure of being married to each other. So we've been married for 12 years. We have four children under seven, really love getting to spend our time together in our marriage and then also run our business together every single day. That's awesome. I'm hearing a lot of through lines with my own investment activity, which are giving me some questions for you all. In case you don't know, or any of our newer best ever listeners, I'm an apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio. The first big question that comes to mind for me, you said you all raise capital for your deals. Yep. So the vast majority of best ever listeners are actually involved in apartment syndication most of them as limited passive investors. The norm nowadays is for operators, general partners to be syndicating on a defined hold period, the five-year hold, the three to seven, whatever they want to call it. And the reason is they have a low cash on cash and they're shooting for a juicy internal rate of return IRR that requires a sale in about five years. You're raising capital from passive investors without targeting a defined hold period or an IRR. How do you do that? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. We'd love to answer it. The $300 million question. We just have a very different model. I agree 100% with your assessment there. Cash on cash rates return are kind of squeezed and you have to pencil in this juicy sale that current market conditions may or may not occur to kind of hit an IRR projection. So with our fund, we have no fees whatsoever, and we don't get any portion of the profit from the venture until our partners have gotten a full return of capital. And then it's a 50-50 split after that. So there's no pref and catch-up pref and escalating waterfall. And we're very mindful about how we set up that fund. So if you think about it, if things go super well and you have this preferred rate of return and waterfall structure, the general partner has an incentive to sell that asset when there's tons of meat on the bone, so to speak, for the next syndicator, which in our opinion, if you have a golden goose, as we call it, why would you ever sell or kill that golden goose? So we do a- The worst mistake we ever made was naming our company Black Swan Real Estate. We should have named it Golden Goose Real Estate, but we figured that out many years into the venture. But Yeah. So we do a cash out refi to return capital to our investors, and then they stay in the deal forever. Mm-hmm. So they're never stuck on this treadmill where they're constantly recapturing depreciation and having to make up for capital gains from selling an asset that they probably actually wanted to hold. It's just that that general partner gets all these fees and creates a synthetically elevated IRR to maximize their compensation. And that's if things go really well. Think about if things don't go so well. 
the general partner might get buried under that preferred rate of return, maybe to cruise for a few years, and suddenly they have to pay out 25% PREF before they ever see the light of day, before they see equity. And all of a sudden, your incentives are, again, really disaligned, where the GP, they might actually collect a fee to sell the asset. They could even potentially lose money, lose LP capital, but actually be at a net profit, depending on how that fee structure is set up. And then they get to reset that clock and go back to zero accrued PREF in the next deal. With our structure, those incentives stay laser aligned the whole time. It's not impossible to lose money. You should never believe someone who says you can't lose money, but it's really difficult to lose money. Kind of the worst case scenario with our structure is low single digit return, not too bad. And all of our incentives are completely aligned. We want to return capital as quickly as we can so we can profit. And we make money the exact same way that our investors do and only after our investors make money. And then finally, 5% of our profit goes to our staff as a profit share, again, because that vertical integration that we think is so important. And then 5% of our profit goes to charity, which is just a huge part of what we do. We, we helped build a school here this past year, which is just about the coolest thing we've ever done. So there's just a few things that I think really we've been thoughtful about how we want to structure our fund and, and our relationship with our investors. And that's how we've put together a structure that we think keeps all the incentives aligned. We've basically taken the Burr business model that we started with 12 years ago on the single family side and kept that business model as we moved into large multifamily and working with passive investors instead of going to, as you mentioned, a typical syndication or fund model that has a defined hold period. We've kept that Burr business model so that our investors can get all of their capital back. So they're at a $0 basis in the deal, but then they stay in the deal indefinitely and enjoy that infinite rate of return for decades. That's the basis of all of the wealth that we've created. And it's the basis of all of the wealth that we're creating alongside our, our limited partners. Best ever listeners, as those of you who have been listening for the last year or so as that I've been a host, as some of you may know, every once in a while, I get to interview a guest whose business has direct implications or applications to my own. And I effectively hijack you all to have my own conversation with the guests <laughs> and bring you all along. So let me say, I have some fairly targeted questions here. I do believe we're going to add a lot of value to our listeners, Nick and Elaine. But what you're describing as a fund is something that I've been considering starting myself for quite a while. I didn't start... Burr investing until about six years after you all did. So my portfolio is smaller currently, but I am interested in finding ways to raise capital to develop a fund the same way that you are, where it's fund free. I'm not incentivized to do anything other than get my capital back, get my investors' capital back to them and stay in the deal with me indefinitely 50 50. So I have a lot of questions there with regards to how you structure that. I want to start by asking how you choose your acquisitions. I know you said you do some single family. Is that done now? Now that it's the end of 2022 and we have a very volatile market and volatile economy, are you just buying anything where the numbers work out, whether it's single family or large multifamily? How are you choosing your acquisitions? Well, first of all, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear that you have a goal like this. We love talking to other GPs, other fund managers and syndicators. Our vision, our dream in some perfect world is going to sound like a crazy goal, but it would be to bend the moral arc of capitalism towards justice in some small way. The same way like Warren Buffett kind of mm -hmm. created the Buffett pledge. It's not yours. You have to give it back. What if every single private equity fund out there didn't have fees, was geared towards the long term and had a 5% give back? It was 
suddenly not okay to charge all these fees and to have all these kind of weird disalignments incentives. You could probably rebuild every school in the country every single year with just a tiny little give back from all the different wealth vehicles out there. So we're really excited to hear that. And then just to answer your question specifically, we're opportunists. So we love deep value add. The more value we can bring, the better. You know, Elaine mentioned how being vertically integrated gives us a lot of options that most syndicators, private equity fund managers don't have. For example, we recently bought an asset, fantastic asset. It's a 100 townhome community. We're able to get it at a, a deeply discounted purchase price, the same price they paid for it in 2017. I don't know about you, but I feel like values have gone up since then but there was about 50% rent delinquency on their rent roll. So whatever assumption you can probably make about that community just from that one data point alone is probably accurate in the situation. And as many listeners may know, you can't find a property management company that's going to work on an asset like that. It's a pretty significant undertaking to step into managing an asset with 50% rent delinquency of that size and scope, an 11 acre campus of townhomes. But because we own the property management company, we're able to dig in and and dig in deep on that type of asset, that type of situation, helping people get back on track, working with them with payments. And if they are just so underwater, they're $10,000 behind on rent, which some of these residents, unfortunately, were helping them with that transition and just saying, we'll wipe the slate clean if we can help you transition to whatever that next stage of living is for you. But again, you can really only take on those kinds of opportunities when you own the property management company. And those are our favorite kind of deals to take on. Anything where there's a big problem to solve. And we still do both single family and large multifamily. We think of single family as little piggy banks because we can acquire them. We can close in seven days with cash from the private equity fund. We can do our renovation very quickly. We can rent it. And then we work with local regional banks where we actually get tranches of credit approved in advance. Our banks call them guidance lines. I think we kind of made up that name. So you probably can't Google that, but they're called guidance lines. And then we just go to the bank and say, okay, one, two, three, Main Street, we're ready to finance that one. And then they do a drive-by appraisal. We can have the cash back, sometimes in as little as 60 days. And so that allows us to speed the overall velocity of capital in any given fund while we're taking on the much larger projects. Like Nick mentioned, like that 100 townhome community, that's going to take a year to stabilize. So in the meantime, we're able to do many single-family homes as well. We believe so much in single family. We have a course, single family at scale. And the at scale part is a big part of that, that people say single family can't scale. Well, with the right operations, it can. And so we've put this course out there. 100% of the revenue from that goes to charity. It's kind of our passion project that so many people said, I have five single family homes or 10 or something like that. I don't know how to scale beyond this. How do I do that? And we really love doing deals. We don't really fancy ourselves as coaches or teachers, but clearly so many people wanted it. So that's how it became a passion project for us as we created it. And then 100% of the revenue goes to charity. We've been able to build a playground with those funds, put in a kitchen in our local homeless shelter. And it's just kind of a win-win fun thing to do. So a lot of people have asked, have we kind of abandoned single family as we've moved on to larger assets? And the answer is no. We've done many hundreds of single family home deals this year. The plan is to continue doing those in addition to the hundreds of millions of large apartment communities that we've done this year as well. Sounds like you guys have been really active in 2022. I want to ask about that. But first, I want to ask about location. As opportunistic buyers, do you find yourself sticking to your local market or the greater Minneapolis, St. Paul area, where all are you buying? 
Our headquarters where we're physically standing right now is in Rochester, Minnesota, which is southeastern Minnesota. We also have some assets in Tacoma, Washington. We have a, a fantastic operational partner that we work with, but we really love having a niche that we dominate. So those are the only two markets that we serve right mm -hmm. now. We'll probably buy some more assets in other markets. We've written offers on some assets in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, other areas in southeastern Minnesota. But we haven't had those offers stick, and we love to go wherever the opportunity finds us, but also recognizing that operational efficiency is absolutely everything. So just as a really brief example of that, we love the 30-unit apartment building. It's kind of in a sour spot in the market. So you kind of pay a lot of money, a four-unit, because a mom-and-pop buyer can go buy it and sort of pay an inflated price for it, so to speak. And then if it's a 100-unit apartment building, there tends to be an inflated price for those as well, because there's tons of institutional capital out there looking for them. But when you buy one of these 30-unit apartment buildings, it's kind of in a sour spot in the market. It's too big for a mom-and-pop buyer, but, but too small for an institutional buyer to really have interest. But if you go look at most communities in this country, what is right next door to a 30-unit apartment building? It's another 30-unit apartment building. That's just how city mm -hmm. zoning and planning tends to work in most communities. So we'll go purchase a whole bunch of these 30-unit apartment buildings next door to each other, and I would never really want to go buy a 30-unit apartment building in a community an hour away just because it's a good deal. I would much rather pay a premium to buy a 30-unit apartment building that is right next door to another one of my 30-unit apartment buildings, and now we're in a situation where, in short order, we've got 150, 250 units that are all next door to each other. We call it a campus. That's kind of our affectionate term for it, and suddenly we've made that asset way more valuable just through agglomeration. And whenever the time does come to sell those assets, they can be sold as a portfolio, as a package to an institutional buyer. So we really love a geographic concentration. It's kind of a popular model out there to, I don't know, to be diversified, to have like a different single family home in five different markets. But we think that concentration is how you grow wealth. And that's very much the mode that we're in right now. What about your acquisitions? So I believe you said over 100 single families in 2022. That will be foreign to a lot of our listeners. That's a lot of transactions. That's a lot of deal finding. With the 100 unit communities, like you said, the ones where on-site management makes sense and institutional capital is more interested. Those deals are almost always brokered. But with the single families, the small residential multifamily where are you finding the deals that have that forced appreciation cash out refi potential? That's an excellent question. You actually buried the lead there. So even with our 100 unit communities, you know, we have several at 140, 150. One of the first things we do after acquiring is we remove the site manager. So we have no buildings with on-site staff. So that's a real question there. We bring all of our managers to this local office where we're standing right now. It's kind of centrally located in Rochester. And we really believe in keeping all of our property managers together. Our leasing team is together. Our maintenance team is together. And again, to get that vertical integration. And I guess there's also kind of some aspects of horizontal integration there that say when a leasing agent takes a phone call, maybe you're calling about a studio apartment in one of our downtown buildings, and maybe it's not available, or maybe in talking with you, it turns out you actually need a little more space. So because our leasing team, for example, is all centrally located managing the entire portfolio, they're able to say, hey, we don't have that studio available, but we have a studio over in this other building, or it sounds like you really want a little more space or your budget's a little bit different. So here are these other three or four options. So even in our larger communities, we bring all of our management locally together. And then in terms of our single family acquisitions, Nick got his real estate license in 2017. We have a real estate sales team. 
We do most of our transactions from the MLS. We get some off market, just being you know, buyers in the market, letting everyone know that we are buyers, that we're able to make swift decisions. We're able to close with cash. We have a very simple process. So in the market and that vertical integration piece that we have an acquisitions team that's working at all times, all the way from single family to our large apartment communities. We've had a really well-worn pipeline. So we got three deals under contract here, I think, in the last seven days or so. We have a condominium property, and we're buying additional condos there. Our team was just there, literally going door-to-door, saying, hey, would you like to sell your unit? And they have quick little analysis that they do, figure out where the seller would be at on price. We fire out an offer, all cash, no contingencies, a seven-day close. We can lease the unit back to them, whatever. And this is a pretty standard offer for us. So one of those units can be 10,000 or 15,000 below what we paid for other units in the building. We'll do a very mild renovation to it. When we're done, we'll have probably 10% equity in that property within 30 days of closing. Mm-hmm. Kind of a can't lose base hit deal. We're not necessarily doubling our money in 30 days, but we're increasing it by probably 50%. If we can just do that same base hit over and over and over again, And on the MLS, we probably walk over a thousand properties a year. And if you just go walk properties, you're going to find deals and you make offers, not like lowball offers. Just we can get a solid base hit and just get that same base hit over and over and over again. It's kind of boring almost, but it's very consistent. And I think it's very reproducible. You just have to be willing to, to put in the work, to walk the properties, to run the numbers and to write the offers. We have a bit of a policy that we will write an offer on pretty much anything we see. Now, it may be at our terms and it's all about the delivery. We can't give an offer to whether it's a single family agent or broker of a large multifamily community in a flippant or arrogant way of, oh, this is our number. But we might say, thank you so much for the opportunity to tour this asset. We've done our underwriting. Here's the number that makes sense for us. I know that's a little bit off from what you were expecting, but I wanted to respect and honor your time. Thank you for the opportunity to spend that afternoon with you walking through that building. If that does make sense to you in the future, you want to have a conversation, we're here. And a lot of our deals, that conversation has to be planted and then germinate for a while because Mm -hmm. we're often not the best price, but we're the most flexible in terms of terms. We've never failed to close on anything that we've gotten under contract. Brokers know that about us. So they come back after marketing it for a while or maybe getting it under contract and then it falls out, all sorts of things. But we really just have a standing policy of basically writing an offer on everything we have the chance to look at. That makes a lot of sense. It takes a lot of pavement beating to come up with that many individual acquisitions. Mm -hmm. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Speaking specifically to the market of the moment with the interest rate hikes that we've seen over 2022. This is being recorded 
at the very end of 2022. Have you seen the market of the moment impact your acquisitions? And if so, how? Yeah, we keep a very close eye on the market. Being a licensed agent, we have access to the real-time MLS data that really no one other than a licensed agent in that market has access to. We can see up to the hour how many showings per listing are occurring, get that data in real time. And so we can sense when those transitions happen. Fortunately, in the Minnesota market, we did not have as explosive a run-up as, say, Phoenix or Jacksonville has had. And as a consequence, we're not really seeing any signs of a crash or, or really even much of a slowdown in our market. Things certainly are slowing down on a seasonally adjusted basis, but like our median price has not budged one iota. And we're checking this data every week just to make sure that we're staying in touch with the market. But we've yet to have a single dial on our dashboard that really says that some big shift is imminent. So we'd love it if prices soften a little bit so we could buy some better deals, but that just has not happened. So we keep looking and every now and then we do find just an underpriced listing or a seller that is really motivated to sell. But right this second, we're not seeing anything in our market that indicates there's a big shift coming. So as of right now, 40%, 40% of all U.S. mortgages are below a 3.0% interest rate. No one is selling their house to move somewhere to get to a 7% interest rate mortgage. You're going to figure out how to work remotely, find a job in your local area. You'll probably keep your house and rent it out. You'll do anything but sell that house. You're going to hang on to that mortgage rate. So we're seeing very limited inventory. And even if there aren't as many buyers because interest rates are higher, there's also not as many sellers. So we're seeing transactional volume way down as a licensed agent. If we really needed to have a ton of transactions to put food on the table, we might be concerned about that. But for us, the real estate team is really just kind of a value add thing. So we're seeing transactions slow down, but, but pricing has not changed very much. In terms of our cash out refi model, we do all of our underwriting very conservatively. So you know, we're looking at what if interest rates are 8%, 9%, 10%. It's worth noting that all of the debt on the entire portfolio, a third of a billion, is all fixed rate. We don't have a single penny of variable rate debt. We've never had any variable rate debt. It's all with local regional banks. We have no institutional debt, no debt from debt funds. Those sorts of players really have always believed in the value of relationships with local regional banks, fixed rate debt. None of our debt is higher than 5.15%, and none of our debt matures in the next four years. So we have lots of different safety mechanisms there. And then how we've been able to get our equity out of projects, say, in this year that we acquired in say 2020 or 2021, we've completed those renovations, the value add, improved the rent roll, decreased expenses, and now we're ready to harvest that equity, is we've been able to work with our local regional banks to place a second piece of debt on those properties. So for example, we acquired a $10 million apartment building last August, so we had $2 million down on that, and we're exercising our final cash out refi to pull out all of the equity next week. We're making sure we close in this tax year. We're keeping the original mortgage because it has an amazing interest rate. I think it's like right 3. at 3. 3.25, yeah. Yeah, and then putting a second piece of debt on that, and that all goes back to the relationships with our local regional banks that we're able to have a person-to-person conversation. These are people who know us. We have dinner together. They know our property management company. They've met our team members. They feel very comfortable with that. So our blended interest rate across those two pieces of debt might be, say, 4%. I'd need to do the percentages there for the proportion, but we're able to get a full cash out refi in about a little less than 18 months and still have fixed rate debt that's under 5%. We've been able to replicate that over and over. 
And you would say that the reason why you have banks who are willing to give you that second position debt is because of the relationships with those banks that you've built over time and the volume of loans that you have with them? Absolutely. So one value that we espouse all the way from someone that's just starting in real estate investing to many hundreds of millions of assets under management is that the deal is 50% of the value and the debt is 50% of the value. And I think in general, a lot of emphasis gets put on the deal. More emphasis has been put on debt of late as interest rates have gone up. We've had 100x the number of conversations about debt in the last, say, quarter than we've had probably in the decade plus of real estate investing before that. But it's always been our belief that it's the deal and the debt together that creates the magic. So as much time as we spend looking at deals, like I talked about how we write an offer on almost everything that we walk, we do the underwriting, we put together our numbers, we write an offer, we spend an equal amount of time on debt because one without the other is not a recipe for success. They have to come together to create the magic. I feel like I could stand here for another hour and continue to pepper you all with questions. I think I need to summarize them. This is a rather short form podcast. So let's put it this way. We're going to make my hijack of the best ever podcast complete. I want you all to give me advice. Let me tell you a little bit about my current situation and what you think I should do next in order to build a fund like yours. So my unit count and my assets under management are significantly smaller than yours. However, I do have my own management company. It's built for those 30-ish unit properties because I already have a couple that size and several things that are smaller. Centralized and remote management, the way you were talking about everybody coming from one headquarters and not needing to have anybody on site. I am building a renovations company so that all of my maintenance and the vast majority of my apartment turning activity is in-house, including when I or we decide to remove walls, open up floor plans, et cetera. I have people, W-2 or 1099, working for me full-time who handle that stuff. I have successfully executed a handful of bird deals like you were talking about. Buy for force appreciation, get to the cash out refi point. And I've done joint venture partnerships in a similar structure where I bring the deal, they bring the capital, I execute on it. We remain 50-50 after the capital partner has their deal, has been made whole. I've never raised passive capital for a deal before. So Nick and Elaine, I hope this is relatable for our listeners, but really just talk to me and tell me what you think I need to do next to build a fund like yours. I'm sure Nick has a ton to add. The thing that really comes to mind is prior to running our company full-time, I'm a physician. I trained as a psychiatrist. I had the great privilege of doing my medical training at the Mayo Clinic, best hospital in the world, really just a wonderful institution with an amazing culture. And their motto, from everything from the physicians to the parking lot attendants, the needs of the patient come first. That comes straight from the Mayo Clinic. And Nick also was able to work there for several years in IT prior to running our company full-time. And we've really taken that culture and the needs of our investors come first. In everything that we do, the needs of the investors come first. That's why we have no fees whatsoever. That's why all of the profits go back to our partners until they're completely repaid. It's why we work so hard on vertical integration so that when we make projections about renovations, rent roll, expenses, 
we are accountable for those things because we are the ones running the deal. The needs of the investor come first. And if you live in that ethos, it attracts investors to you effortlessly. That's my piece. I'm curious what Nick has to say. Yeah. The best investor calls that I ever do, and and I do a lot of them. I just put my calendar out there. Anyone can go to meetblackswan.com and just block a time on my calendar if, if they want to chat, if we can offer them value in any way. The best calls start with just, I just felt the need to talk to you. I just felt like there was some kind of alignment here, like our values were in sync. People sometimes ask us if we're like a religious organization or something. We're not. I actually have a bachelor's degree in ministry, but we're not like a religious organization in any way, shape, or form, but we are very values-driven. And I think that every investor out there is basically asking themselves, can I trust this person? Is this person going to fight for me? Mm-hmm. Is this a person who's going to put my needs ahead of their own, exactly as Elaine just said? And if you just answer that one question, that's the only question that really matters. I think a lot of syndicators out there, fund managers, they try to do a very slick PowerPoint deck or webinar. When we do webinars, we call it a telethon. There's live Q&A. It's kind of a fun environment. And we go until every single question is answered. So we might go three or four hours if that's what people need. Investors are contemplating making a larger investment. We encourage them to fly out, bring their family. We'll hang out at a playground and hang out with our kids. We've got four kids and we really just love bring them into the business. We had a conference here where we had like childcare offered at the at the conference and we would get on a bus and go look at the assets that are in the fund. And I don't know, we just try to be genuine, authentic, just show up for people and everything else will take care of itself. If you just have a slide deck with some IRR projections and stuff like that, that's never going to really resonate with someone and answer that core question of, is this person going to show up for me? Are they going to stick up for me? Are they going to fight for me? Are they going to put my needs ahead of their own? I love what you guys have to say about making sure that the needs of the investor come first. That makes a lot of sense. And you guys have done and are articulating a business model that I've been considering, like I said, where when you get to that point where you have returned all of your investors' capital, you don't really need the fees. And I can also see where there could be a misalignment of interest with a lot of operators who need a large acquisition fee in order to execute on a deal, basically allowing the operator to make money up front before anything has been delivered upon. Mm-hmm. This is very helpful information. I do want to go back to my question. What do you think I need to do next? So it sounds to me like you need to have a deal to present to investors. So conveniently, you already have a platform. So if you have some place that people could go to to connect with you, that'd be a really unfair advantage that you could have from the typical person. It sounds to me like you just need to have a live deal on the line. I remember the first time that we got a deal under contract that we couldn't afford to buy. That was a magic day and that will set you on fire, Slocum. So put down some non-refundable earnest money. Maybe that's bad advice. I don't know. Don't put down all your money as non-refundable earnest money. Make sure you've had some conversations with investors in advance that believe in you and the results that you can create, know your track record of success. So you have set yourself up for success in advance. But at the end of the day, I think discovering fire moment for most indicators is that moment when they get under contract on a deal that they've got to raise the money for that deal. So for us, I remember it was a couple of very distressed properties and I came home and said, honey, guess what? We're under contract on these two properties. She knew which ones they were. And she was like, how the heck are we going to do that? We don't have the money. And I said, we will find the money. These things are a really good deal and investors would be crazy not to invest in them. And the money materialized within a couple of days. I was blown away at how quickly people invested, how excited people were to invest. I think if you just have a, a, an audience, some people that know your story and, and trust you and are excited to invest with you, and you have a compelling opportunity, the money shows up. 
you've done all of the hard stuff, yes. which is having the operational experience, having the property management, having the vertical integration, really being the one that's accountable for the outcomes. The easy part is doing the legal compliance, getting the bank account, all of that stuff you rely on. Excellent attorneys, excellent accountants really leverage their expertise. The hard part is actually doing the deal. And it sounds like you have a ton of experience with that and the ownership mentality that it takes to succeed. And you're welcome to jump on a call with us offline. We would love to just provide you with value any way we can. That's literally what we spend most of our day doing. We probably talk to more GPs than LPs because we think that our business model makes the world a better place. And we love to just help people get in the game if they're mm -hmm. people that we want to support. And we love people that are vertically integrated, that have the property management company. And everything you're telling me resonates with me. And it sounds to me like you just need to take the leap there, so to speak. So we're happy to shove you off the cliff if that's what you need. Nick, Elaine, I appreciate the offer. I hope that's an offer that's available to all of our best ever listeners. I'll ask you for contact info again in just a moment. But for now, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's, Let's do, it. do it. You guys can answer independently from one another if you feel the need. What is the best ever book you've recently read? Right now I'm reading Atomic Habits. I read it several years ago. And honestly, I think I wasn't ready for it. So reading it again right now about how habits are a vote for or against the identity that you want to have how to do habit stacking, how to make habits very easy. As you mentioned, we're recording this at the end of 2022. My big theme for 2023 is how can I build the person that I need for the next phase of my life? What habits and behaviors does that person need? And so I'm diving everything I can into habits and can't recommend Atomic Habits enough. I'm going to go with a recommendation I think might help you, Slocum. The Alchemist. Have you ever read that book before? It's on my list. I haven't read it yet. It's a fantastic book. Short read. And there's a lot of messages in the book. But I think one of the biggest ones is you can always go back. I think most people live their life in the dance between desiring what they want most and fearing the loss of what they already have. And one of the premises of The Alchemist is you can always go for what you want. And if you have to let go of what you have to get it, you can probably get it back. And probably at a fraction of the time that it took you before, if you even truly lose it at all. So I think most people are like, I'm thinking about asking the girl out on the date or proposing marriage or starting my own business or whatever it is, fearing that they're going to lose something by making that leap. And the truth is we often have to let go of something to bring something even better into our life. If we don't like that new thing, we can always go back. You've spoken on this already, but what is your best ever way to give back? We decided last year that charitable giving would be a major part of our lives. We spun up the Stogberg Family Foundation really to tell ourselves that we are people to give, to operationalize that. So 5% of all of our profits from all of our real estate endeavors go to our family foundation. Our three main initiatives are building public parks, entrepreneurial education for young people, and housing for women and children. Yeah, very concretely, worked with a local school, kind of a scrappy startup school. We've got four kids, so we said, man, we should create the most incredible educational experience possible for them. We worked with a scrappy startup school to basically build a, a new school building. We found an abandoned 40,000 square foot office building and over the summer worked with teachers and students to rip up carpet and roll paint. And the kiddos just moved into that school here just a few months ago. I think it's one of the coolest things that I've ever done. Thus far, Nick and Elaine, what is the biggest mistake you all have made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think that a lot of syndicators, real estate investors, they live in this fantasy that they can do passive real estate investing. Real estate investing is not passive. Now, if you're investing as a limited partner, it is very passive, but 
we talk to people all the time that will hire um, a third-party property management company, third-party contractor, third-party everything. Third-party due diligence. So, yeah, we've frightening. Seen, we've seen third-party due diligence firms. Now, that is a really scary idea. They, they send out the people and give you property condition reports. So people are buying buildings that they've never even set foot inside physically. We personally tour every single unit we buy in every acquisition. You have to be in the game to succeed at real estate. It's an active thing unless you're an LP in a fund or a syndication. So if you are buying and renovating single family homes and whatever it is, lean into it and hire people when the time comes. Hire full-time W-2 employees. Mark Zuckerberg is not excited to do everything passive. My answer, I promise you, is not a non-answer. But I would say that I have trained my mind so much that I just don't fail. You can't fail until you're dead. So we could go back over the last 24 hours, the last month, the last year, and I could sit down and, and make a list of all of the failures, all of the offers that we wrote that we didn't get, all of the renovations that went over budget, all of the challenges with our staff, problems with my kids, times Nick and I got into arguments. There's tons of them. But when you ask me that question, my first response is, well, I've just trained myself that I don't fail. As long as I keep showing up, I keep trying my best. I keep living authentically. There's no such thing as failure. There's just doing the work. Brene Brown says it the best. You just stay in the arena. Nick and Elaine, what is your best ever advice? Get started. People get stuck in analysis paralysis. And our personal advice to you, Slocum, was to go get a deal and raise some capital. Our coaches and mentors, all they do every week is meet with them and they say, hey, did you do the thing you said you were going to do last week? There's no reason to delay. Just the thing that you want, the main thing that it's waiting on is you. Last question. Where can our best ever listeners get in touch with you? Anyone here can go to meetblackswan.com, meetblackswan.com. There's a link to Elaine or I's calendar. If you want to chat about what it's like to work full-time with your spouse while you have four kids and how to juggle all those balls. If you're a GP like yourself, Slocum there, and you want to get started and maybe even have a model kind of like ours with a give back component and no fees, we'd love to help people with that. If you're a LP who would like to invest in senses, there could be some alignment here. You just go to meetblackswan.com, sign up for our mailing list. If you'd like to learn more about us that way, you can go to our course. That's a you know, give what you can model. 100% of the revenue from that course goes to charity. Lots of ways to connect with us. That link is in the show notes. Nick and Elaine, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gotten any of the value out of this conversation that I have, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend who you know will be interested in hearing more about Nick and Elaine's business model. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.